0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Revealed, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. We've been going through this uh, Revealed sermon series over the last several weeks, and we've been talking about something called parables. Parables. And it's a way that Jesus taught. It's telling a small story that has big meaning and a big purpose. A small story that has a big meaning and a big purpose. And as I was preparing and studying for this week, I was reading some articles by John Piper. You may have heard of him before. A famous preacher, famous theologian. Um, and uh, he said this, he said, hey, one of the best ways that we can help ourselves as we read the parables is to go to the very end of the story first and remind ourselves what the end of the story looks like. And the end of the story is Jesus dying on a cross, being buried in a tomb, and rising again after three days and conquering death. He said, We must understand that fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus conquered death. We have to start there as we read the parables and stories that he told people leading up into his death. And what he's doing is, Jesus is trying to help communicate this is the good news that I have for you. This is the good news. And to understand the good news, we have to go even further back and understand context, and that is at the very beginning of creation. There were two people that God made. I want to see if the kids are paying attention. There were two people that God made. Does anybody know their names? You you can yell it out loud. Adam and Eve, good job. You can stop yelling now. Um, That was a joke. Okay, Adam and Eve, that's right. Okay, we have Adam and Eve. In Adam and Eve, it says that they walked with God, that they had relationship with Him. They were walking through the garden. And then all of a sudden, something came into the garden. Something came into the hearts and the minds of of that man and that woman. And something starts with the letter S. What is it? Sin. That's right. Sin came in. And sin, it helped them or it showed them we can try to be like God. We can disobey God and we can do our own thing. And when they sinned, what happened to them? That's right. They got kicked out. They got pushed out of the garden. And they realized that they were naked. That's right. Okay. (laughs) We love having kids in service with us, adults and parents. But it's true. They understand. They have this knowledge now that they didn't have prior. They felt shame, right? So sin enters into the world, and something that we all have to understand is that all of us are born with sin now. Because of Adam and Eve, every human being for all time is always born with sin. Kids, you can look at your parents and you can say, you have sin. Parents, you can look at your kids and say, so do you. Right? Every single person has sin. And every single person is not good in and of themselves. There's a big word that uh, we see a lot in Scripture. It's this word righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. Paul was an apostle. He was somebody who met Jesus in a dream, and he went and he did all of this missionary work all across the region. And he said, there's no one righteous. Not even one. Not even one single person is righteous. Paul, when he says that, he's actually quoting something from the Old Testament, and he's trying to remind people, we all have to remember, none of us are good by ourselves. None of us are always going to do the right thing. You may morally be good. You may make good decisions from time to time. You may have good thoughts about people from time to time, but eventually, there will be a moment where you will sin because you're not righteous, There was only one person who was righteous. Can anybody guess who that one person was? Jesus. That's right. Jesus was righteous. He was righteous. God is righteous. He's just. He's holy. There's nothing wrong. He can't do anything wrong. So we have to understand all this as we listen to this story that Jesus begins to tell to this crowd of people. And so... Let's look here at Luke chapter 18, verses, uh, we'll start here at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. All right, let's stop there for a second. There are two ways that people approach God. One of these ways we're going to see right here. People who think that they're righteous and they treat other people with contempt, When you do that, what you do is you think to yourself, I'm a good person. I do everything right. I make the right decisions. All of these people over here, they make wrong decisions. They make bad decisions. Jesus kind of highlights a little bit more, and he says, let me tell you a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, if you're a good storyteller, which Jesus was the best storyteller of them all. If you're a good storyteller, you know your audience. And you know how to connect with your audience as you tell the story. And one of the ways of telling a good story is having good characters—characters characters that you want to be like, or maybe characters that you don't really want to be like, but you want to try to help create a connection point. So, how many kids and adults are welcome to respond? How many of you have ever thought, "I want to be Luke Skywalker"? Even if you're a girl, you can want to be Luke Skywalker. That's totally cool, for sure, right? Okay. How many of you wanted to be Elsa? to be a frozen queen. There you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Right? We, we find these stories. We, think about that person in your head right now. Maybe, kiddos, write it on your piece of paper. What's that character that you wish you could be like? Right? I, for me, and this is very close to the heart, okay? So I'm being very vulnerable with, with all the adults in here. When I was a child, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. We just started watching it with my kids. We can talk about parenting styles later if we want. But we just started watching Indiana Jones, and I told my kids, guys, that's, that's who I wanted to be when I grew up. That's why I went to college and got a Greek and Roman history major. I don't really know what I do with that anymore. I've become a pastor. Um, but it, what it did was it inspired me, and it said, hey, I want to be like that. I don't dress like him. I don't have a job like him. I don't go on crazy adventures like that, like him. But it was inspiring. It was something I connected with. Jesus wants people to connect with the characters in this parable he's about to tell. First one is the Pharisee. And what what is the Pharisee doing? Let's take a look at it. He's standing by himself praying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Let's pause right there. This Pharisee is standing over here before God. God, thank you. I am not like all of these horrible people running down this list. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever looked at another person and said, Whew, I'm glad I'm not like them. They're a bad person. Whew, I am so glad. I, like, I know I've got my things, but man, those people are terrible. I would never, ever be like that. This Pharisee is telling God, look how good I am. I'm not like all of these terrible people, as if God needs this Pharisee's help. He's telling them, look, these are terrible people. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a well-respected individual. People look at me as a minister. People understand me as this religious figure in their life. Let's pause real quick. Uh, Adults. I think sometimes we get skewed in our mind of the Pharisees, and we portray them as these super evil people. We have to remember, Pharisees were well-respected individuals in the Jewish community. They were their pastors. They were their Christian book writers. They were their uh, nationally known uh, you know, uh, ministry leaders. These were respected individuals. And Jesus has a focused ministry with them to say, what you're doing is you're leading people away from the reality of the gospel. Because you see what happened was Pharisees, they started to add things to what the Torah said. They started to add things to what the scriptures showed. And that was their biggest sin and their biggest fault. So here's this Pharisee, well-respected, saying, look at me, I'm so great. I'm not like all these people. Let me also tell uh, God Look how good I am. I fast twice a week, and I tithe everything I give. Look at all the good stuff I do. Hard question for us. Do we do that with God? God, did you see me? I I dropped my money in the offering box on the way in. God, did you see me? I showed up at church on Sunday when everybody else was still on the boat on the lake enjoying a barbecue grill and watching the service from online. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're with us today. (laughs) I forget, we're streaming things now. (laughs) But like, did you walk in with that sense of arrogance? Did you walk in with the sense of like, God, look at me. I go to a Christian school. My kids are doing phenomenal because they go to a Christian school. Do we walk around looking at the things that we do to say, God must really like me and count me as a good person because I'm not like those terrible people, and I do all this really good stuff? The sermon was super convicting for me this week. Do I do that? I think I do sometimes. At least I'm not like those people over there. Look, look, God, I'm a pastor I moved to Michigan for you. Like, that's a big deal, right? Two people laughed. Um, Like, look at the things I've done. Is that what makes God look at me and be pleased with me? I think sometimes I want it to be, because that's something I can control. But Jesus is saying, look at this. And then Jesus in his storytelling gives a beautiful contrast. He says, and then over in the corner was this tax collector who was standing over here. Now, a tax collector is not the IRS agent in a black suit coming and asking you for the money that legally you're supposed to pay if you live in the United States. The IRS agent is just doing their job. A tax collector was a Jew who got hired by a Roman contractor to go around house to house in the little villages and make sure that every single Jew paid a tax to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had conquered all of the Jews to pay a tax to them. And the tax collector knew, whatever money I get from them, I have to give to my boss. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to charge extra, and I'm going to swindle and cheat them out of their money, take that money, give it to my boss, lie to my boss, and say, here's the money. And my boss is going to take a cut of that too, and we're just going to keep the system going. A tax collector, for so many of like just average everyday Jew, a tax collector was looked at as a despised individual. He was a bully. Adults, this would be the equivalent of like a drug dealer or a human trafficker. This is kind of the the profession that if anybody said that they were, there would be an immediate response to say, gross, why are you here? Here's Jesus saying this tax collector went to the temple. And the tax collector began to do what? That's right. He began to pray. He began to pray. Let's look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There are two ways people approach God. One's like the Pharisee, where there's this pride and there's this look at me, look at all the things I've done. And then there's this tax collector who has this posture of humility. And kids, pay attention and do it to yourself, not to your brother or sister. But if you take your fist and you beat your chest, it's not really a comfortable thing to do for a long time, right? It's not a comfortable thing to do. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they said, hey, like, when, when you do that, it makes me think of, like, uh, who was it, Tarzan, who would, like, beat his chest and say, look at me, look at me, right? Here's this tax collector who's looking down and beating his chest. And he says, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. When you beat your chest and you have your head down and you're bent over, it's this posture. It's this nonverbal communication of, I am not worthy. I can't, I can't even look up at you. I can't even look up. And he wasn't even able to look at God. He, was, had, to look, he had to look at a curtain. And he's looking at this curtain saying, God, I, 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 don't even, I can't even look up. But all I can say is, God, have mercy on me because I realize and recognize the depth of my sin. For followers of Jesus, how do we approach God? Do we approach God with, I am a sinner and I am in need of mercy? Or do we approach God with, I grew up in church, my parents grew up in church, I live in America, I'm a pretty good, decent person. I listen to Christian music from time to time. I'm a good person. I check the boxes, I go to church, I sit still so my mother doesn't fuss at me in the middle of the service. I do all of these good things be pleased and happy with me. How do, we, how do we approach God, church? How do we do that? It's kind of a hard question. But it's something that we have to understand. Because I think there's a lot of churches in the world today, especially in America, I think there's a lot of churches where there's a lot of people like this. Look at all the good things I do. Look at all the good things I do. Please, people over here who are sinful, please don't come in our church because we're not sinful over here. Don't you see us? We dress up every Sunday. We look and smell nice. We wear masks now. It's a very fun thing. And that's what happens in a lot of churches. I'd go so far as to say I think there's a lot of people in ministry, a lot of pastors who we put ourselves and we think that we're in a good standing with God because of the things that we do. I'm a Christian because I've done all of these things. I'm a Christian because I've done all of these things. I'm a pastor because I do all of these things. I I do all this because I do all this. And that's what Jesus is trying to help people understand because that's the idea of God's kingdom that the Pharisees and other religious leaders of the day were telling all of the common people This is what it is to follow God. You give, you give, you give, you give, you do, you do, you do, you do. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what you give, it doesn't matter what you do, because none of those things, while they may be good, none of those things bring righteousness into your life. There's only one thing that does, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus being perfect, Jesus being righteous, Jesus being holy, he is that perfect gift that John 3.16 talks about. Kids, if you know John 3.16, we know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is this gift. It's presented to us. And the gift is, you could never do enough right things in order to have a good relationship with God the Father. You can't. And you have to have a punishment for the things that you do, for the sin in your life. And Jesus says, I will be that punishment. And as I take that punishment, I will give you, this is some deep theological stuff, I will impart my righteousness upon you. I will justify you out of my life and my death and my resurrection from the grave. So to be a follower of Jesus, again, it's not standing over here. Look at all the good things I've done. I've cleaned up my life. I've stopped doing this. I've stopped doing this. I go to church all the time. I do all these great things. God is super pleased with me now, and I am in a right relationship with him. Let's go. Compared to, God, I recognize I am a sinner, and I am in need of your mercy, and I am in need of your grace. And that happens. When that happens, that's when you become a follower of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. For the follower of Jesus, as as you mature and as you grow, ask yourself the question, Every single morning when I wake up, do I wake up with this posture or with this posture? Now, this posture right here, this is not start wearing all black, cut your hair like Ryan's, wear black eyeliner, and walk around and say, oh, my life, I just, my life is so not good. I am a terrible sinner. God have mercy on me. That's not how... Jesus calls us to live in the scriptures. You know how we're called to live in the scriptures? Be free. Christ has died so that you could be free and enjoy life. Have this embracing and this, uh, this perspective that I am a free individual because of Jesus. I no longer have to stay down here all the time. I no longer have to live the false lie that my life is so perfect, look at me on Instagram. I can just be free and I can tell people, man, I know what that sin is like. I'm a sinner too. Let's pray and ask God for mercy. And we could also say, hey, I don't want to be a part of a church like this over here where everything is a bumper sticker that says, hey, go have a good life now, and Jesus loves you. Bye-bye. Praise God for Woodside that we're not going to be a church that's afraid to say the hard things about the Scriptures. If you're going to follow after Jesus, it starts in your heart. Your heart matters to Jesus. Your heart matters because it influences and guides every decision and action you do in your life. Everything. We don't know the condition of your heart. You don't know the condition of your spouse's heart. The only thing that we can do is look at each other's actions. Guess what? Actions can be really deceiving, can't they? So if everything always looks good in somebody's life, have a little question mark in the back of your head and say, I wonder how I can pray for them, and I wonder what area of mercy they need in their life. I'll give it a, a, a story to kind of help illustrate this. We, um, a, a glorious, wonderful thing happened this week. Um, my wife and I went on a date without children Man, it was, it's been a while. It was a good time. We love you kids, but not that much. Um, We left them at home with grandma, which is another great thing, free babysitting, even better. So we go on this date, and we have a great time, and it's a wonderful thing. And then we said, hey, we're down in Rochester. Hey, let's go up to Clarkston, and let's go hang out there. So we go up to this place in Clarkston, and, uh, you know, we're talking uh, with some of the workers there. We start talking with this one gal, and you know, we're talking, and then the question that I despise the most, um, but I get often is uh, we, we realized that we were from the same place in South Texas, right? Like San Antonio in the Valley. And we realized we had that connection. And she looked at me, she goes, Why would you move to Michigan? Y'all, I, I get that question a lot, um, and I don't know why people ask that, because we love living in Michigan so far. Um, but she asked this question, why would you move here? And I'm like, okay, all right, she's eventually going to ask, what do I do? How do I, like, navigate to where I don't have to talk about, like, oh, I'm a pastor, hey. So she, but eventually she was direct with me and said, well, what do you do? Uh, I, uh, I'm Indiana Jones for people's souls. That's what I do. Um. Wow. Uh, my son thought that was a lame joke. Um, so I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I serve at Woodside. I serve at Woodside. I'm one of the pastors there. And it was like, I don't know, it was just like all the air and everything just got sucked out of the room. And she just kind of stared at us. And then she began to apologize. Hey, I'm really sorry for all of the really rude and inappropriate things I said to you before leading up to me knowing that you're a pastor. Please forgive me. I'm like, it's fine. You're fine. Um, so then we started talking about spiritual things. We started talking about things of God. And it, it, it was mind-blowing. She made this statement. Um, she said, well... Um, I, I know I'm going to hell. And she, she wasn't joking. She was being sincere. I, I, I know I'm going to hell because of my choices, because of the decisions I've made and the way I've lived my life. I, I, really, I really don't want my kids to go. You know, I, I hope that they don't go. But, and this profound thing she said, hey, um, I haven't had anybody pray for me in a really, really, really long time. Do you think you could pray for me here in the middle of the restaurant? And I had the opportunity just to remind her to say, you know that God sees you right now? Do you know that God has been with you since you moved 20 years ago from the valley to Michigan? Did you know that God knew that these random this random couple from San Antonio would come and we would meet you in this place on this night, which is abnormal for us because it was past eight o'clock and we were still out. Um, Did you know, do you know, do you know that God sees who you are and God sees the reality of your heart? Yes, your actions probably are not the best. I didn't start preaching at her. But God knows the need of your heart. And all of these things have happened for the condition and the sake of your heart. Not so that you would clean up your life first and then know who Jesus is, but that you would know who Jesus is, that he would transform your heart, that you would embrace the mercy that he's giving you. She's almost there, y'all. She's almost there. She knows she needs mercy. She knows she's like this, but she hasn't gotten to this place of saying, God, I am in need of your mercy. Save me and I will follow you the rest of my life. That is the gospel message. That is the heart and the the posture that we want to take. God, I recognize who I am. I recognize my need for you, and I choose to lift my eyes up to you once I know that I have your mercy. So our prayer is for her. Our prayer is that while she's in this place, that God would break her heart and that she would see that he is offering her mercy. Christian, those of you who call yourselves Christians, every single day, if we were a people who recognized that we're not all this, but that we need Jesus constantly every single day of our life, it will create a humility about us to where when we walk around and we see people, guess what we don't do? We don't have contempt for people. We don't ignore people. We don't have racism in our society. We don't have this judgmental attitude and aura of, well, we can't go to that church because all they do is yell at people and say how terrible they are. But church, we have that opportunity. Your heart matters. And Jesus qualifies you, Jesus justifies you when you put your trust and belief in him, And when we do that, and when we follow him, and when we have this posture of humility, what we're able to do is be used by God to change the world around us. I don't know about you. I struggle with wanting to stay over here because I can create my perfect life. But God doesn't want the perfect life. God wants you to trust him whatever that life may look like. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.